Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. Without further ado, y'all, I don't, Bishop Chuck doesn't need an uh, introduction, but, uh, you know, Bishop, we love you. We really do. Uh, everybody here loves you. I especially love you. I especially love you. I don't ever see you, but you're one of those people that I just love, for real. And uh, you have to go preach at Christ the King, and you've got a million things going on there. And every time I ask you, I sheepishly ask you to come speak here because I know how busy you are, you graciously say, I'd love to. And so we love you. You're part, you're part of our family. You're kind of a father in our family, and we love you and welcome you and honor you here. Y'all give it up for Bishop Chuck. parts I'm supposed to do. It's hard for me to believe that I have a message on a phone. I swore against doing it that way for years, and I probably will forget to look at it. Then I have to do this so I can see my Bible. I no longer can see you, but it's important I can see my Bible. Well, so good to be here. Um, I love this place so much. I love, there are so many people here who, who are part of Blue Jean who've just impacted my life so much over the years. Mary, when I first came to Selma, and um, when we had to sit down with Olivia and explain to her that she and you worked for me, I didn't work for her. That was the <laughs> <laughs> um, Shelby, who's just transformed my life forever. And I'm so grateful, and Donna, thank you. So, and um, I also want to say sort of a shout out to um, Donnie and Cherry. He texted me this morning, said to be watching over television. A year ago, yesterday is when I had my open heart surgery, so I, it was on a Friday then. And so I had my surgery on Friday, I went home on Monday and on Tuesday, Donnie was the first person, not a family member, to show up at my house just to tell me everything was gonna be okay. And, uh, and what he had walked through. And I'm just so grateful for him and their friendship. So this place is so fun for me to come to. This time when Bob uh, texted me and asked me if I'd come, I was in Africa. And um, so when I thought about what I was going to share today, I'm just going to, I've reached the age, my, my grandfather's name is Babu, which is Swahili for grandfather. So this is just going to be a Babu visit. I'm going to just have some thoughts. And if you think, you know, that was all kind of scattered. Here's the good thing about, good thing and bad thing. Bad thing about when you get older, that happens a lot. But the good thing is you don't care if people are bothered by it. (laughs) Because you don't remember that you did it the next day anyway. (laughs) Getting old is pretty awesome. Um, But I'll just encourage you. So I know some of you pray for us a lot 
when you're aware that we do Africa. We were in a place called, uh, we were in Kampala, Uganda, but also Budimbujo, where Donna discovered the wonders of African food. She made a pig out of herself, but it was, it was fun to watch. And uh, <laughs> we were there, we have a lot of refugees um, because of rebel activity in Congo who've had to f flee across the border into this area called Bazunga and Budumbujo. And they're just living in little grass huts or um, cloth tents they've made out of clothes or, um, you know, natural material, living out in yards and that kind of thing. And there are thousands and thousands of them. And so we were in Budumbujo, we got to speak in a place that was our cathedral there. But also then the next three days, we got to go and minister to one of our churches on top of that big hill, Donna, in a bazunga. And then the next day in an Anglican church, and then the third day in a Roman Catholic church. And I'll tell you what was fun, is to watch those Roman Catholics, they were just rocking in the Lord. So many of them got healed, had the Lord impacted them, so it was just awesome to watch. Um, but I'll tell you a couple of stories, just to encourage you. Now, whenever you hear stories like this, regardless of whether you know, you're hearing somebody like me that you're real familiar with. Or you go to some big conference and hear some spiritual hero. What you don't want to do is try to compare your experience to what they're trying to say to you. Just be encouraged by that. And also understand that God's not a respecter of persons. I love the what Peter and John said in Acts chapter 3 after the man at the gate beautiful was healed. And he was healed and they began, people began to gather around them. It says even at their feet, like worshiping them because they watched this amazing miracle. And Peter said to them, it's not by our piety, spirituality, or by our power that this man was healed, but it was Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That it wasn't because they were spiritual enough or because they had any power, but it was because they contained one who was spiritual enough and who had the power necessary. Sometimes we think that Christianity is something that's a, like as we anointing and that kind of stuff, it's a reward based on what we've accomplished instead of understanding that we receive what he's accomplished. And then it puts pressure on us to try to perform, to get into law, uh, trying to earn things from God, and then, and then we begin to compare ourselves to each other. And so one, often, if you compare yourselves to some spiritual hero, the enemy will use it to make you feel like a spiritual zero, so be careful. So I'll tell you a story from not a spiritual hero, that somebody who's just us, right? And um, there was a lady in the Anglican church who was getting prayed for by one of our team members, Karen, and as Karen laid hands on her, she was pregnant, she was almost due. And Timothy, one of our clergy, um, was there helping her pray and was also an interpreter. And Karen had laid hands on her. She, before she laid hands on her, the lady told her that she had not felt her baby move in eight months. And that she had been to doctors. And all of you know what encephalitis is. It's the swelling of the brain. There's a condition called encephalitis. And that's when the child in the womb either has very little brain tissue you can't survive it or they don't have any brain. And in Swahili, they'll use the word that comes out like no head. And so she's sharing the fact that she had been to her doctors 
and they said that the baby had no head, which just meant that there was no brain or very little brain tissue. So, that, so the baby was basically brain dead, yet growing because attached to the umbilical cord. And when Karen prayed for this lady, and I never saw her, never met her, um, Timothy said he felt the baby move, which is an exciting thing, but we, you know, you don't know, I don't know, I wasn't there, I didn't see it. I was in the room, same space. But the cool thing is that um, two weeks ago, I think it was, we got it, well, Karen and I were visiting, just doing over some administrative stuff. Timothy wrote an email and said that this lady from Congo, who had lost her home and everything when she fled from the rebels, she gave birth to a normal baby girl with a normal head and a full brain. Which, which means that when Karen prayed for her and Timothy felt that baby move, that in that moment, God grew a brain and basically resuscitated to life a child that was brain dead. And um, that's just stuff that God does, right? And it's not according to our piety or our power that God moves. One example would be, and I meant this to be a teaching thing too for all of us. You may know more about this than I do. Uh, I was praying for people. We saw a lot of people get healed and they get in line and they line up and we pray for them. And it was so cool. And then someone came, um, his name was Baraka. And he was probably in his 30s. And then I just heard the word blind. And so his eyes looked like marbles that had been fried. So he was totally blind. And then my first response was, oh no, somebody blind. But you see, the biggest faith robbers in the world is being situation conscious, being self-conscious, or being sin conscious. And so what the enemy runs through all in your head is, well, you're not spiritual enough, and you know, you, weren't, you, know, you haven't been perfect enough spiritually, and yada, 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 you go on and on. And I immediately you're stopped. It's like the Lord just stopped me. And those words came out. It's not by my piety, nor by my power. It's Jesus. And so then, out of not out of stress, trying to make something happen. Because you see, what will happen a lot is that we kind of, it's kind of cool praying for somebody with a headache. When they're blind, we try harder because we think that'll, and we get louder thinking somehow that's going to make God do something. <laughs> but if it's Jesus, then it's very um, uh, effortless. So just prayed for him and God restored his sight. And the cool thing is that I had a, on, one of the, on the trip was one of a friend of ours who was um, um, a physician's assistant. So he was sitting right there to confirm what happened and he freaked out. So that's just a couple of stories. There were a bunch of stories, but those were cool stories. And it was just fun to watch God do stuff. Amen. Here's the good news though, is that he's, the Lord Jesus is just as committed to performing through you the nitty gritty details in life as he is to grow a brain or heal a blind person. <clears throat> so here's some words, so here's some stuff. I don't know if it has any value or not, but and I don't mean to be rude, but I don't, when I go home, I don't care. No, <laughs> these are just some things that I feel like God's been speaking to me a lot lately. Um, the Lord's birthing some stuff around the world. Uh, 
I don't want to get into a long story about that, but it's really a cool time that we're in right now. He's kind of like, one of the things the Lord said is that it's not about having an encounter that brings you into a breakthrough, but where we're living now is that you have a breakthrough that brings you into a place called encounter, where you just go from glory to glory. It's just encounter. You live in the experience of encounter all the time. God's not disappointed in you. And yet we, many of us, live thinking that God's disappointed in us. And part of that's a sin consciousness that Hebrews 10 says Jesus gave his life to set us free from. Because you can't be Christ conscious and sin conscious at the same time. There's no way to reach forward while looking back at the same time. And Paul talked about pressing on, pressing forward. It's impossible to do that while you're always looking over your shoulder, thinking somehow you're disqualified because it's not, you've not got it right all the time. Um, the Lord's not obsessed with right and wrong. We, Westerners have this view that because God's perfect, he's a perfectionist. And therefore, he's obsessed with right and wrong. But what he's obsessed with is his dream for you and his dream for me. And that dream is that we would participate in his life and experience all that he is and all that he has in the person of Jesus. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. That's why he came. And so instead of being obsessed with right and wrong, He's obsessed with us understanding, with us entering into, experiencing what Jesus came. Jesus didn't die for us so that we would belong to him so that he could fuss at us all the time. Does he reveal things when we get it wrong? Yeah, why? Because he's against everything. The scripture says in that John 10, 10, it says the devil has come to kill, steal, and to destroy but Jesus has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So when the Lord shows us things, it's not to make us feel terrible or to rub our noses in it. He's against anything that represents thievery. Anything that the enemy does that tries to steal from us what Jesus died for us to experience, which is life, life more abundant in him. He's against, God's against any thievery in any form. And so when he shows us stuff, Again, it's to set us free, not to make us feel bad. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I shared this before. Last time, if, if I get invited again until I go be with Jesus, I'll say this every time. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he had never been there before. He had never experienced Rome. He had never visited Rome. But he writes this long letter to them, and he opens up in the first chapter by saying, I long to come to you to preach the gospel to you. That's a fascinating thing that Paul felt compelled to preach the gospel to Christians. And I believe one of the things that God is doing today is evangelizing the saved. Because the good news is so much bigger than you and I could ever imagine. And we, we settle for so much less because we don't understand the gospel. And so the gospel is really simple. Your inclusion into the life that Jesus lives and the favor that Jesus lives under. And it's grace. It's a gift. 
Now think about that. How many of us are constantly trying to posture ourselves to experience more favor? Well, it's too late. Jesus has already postured you for that. And once we start living out of favor, favor transforms us. Is that an airplane about to run into our building? Oh, no. oh okay. Yeah, okay. I can't hear as good as I used to, but I can hear that. That's amazing. I bought a fan the other day because I like to sit on my back porch because it's been so hot. But I should never be in charge of buying anything mechanical. So I go to a tractor, something, truck, something, some supply thing. So this box has this picture of this box. It says industrial fan. And the picture on the box looked like, oh, that, that's what I'm looking for. Like a fan, you know, about that round and has a stand. I can't even move that fan. It's the biggest fan and it sounds like that. You can't even hear yourself on the porch. If I weren't sitting in the chair, it'd blow me off the porch. So anyway, this makes it a familiar sound to me. See, this is again where the comparison thing can get people in trouble because they've, and we, and we can do this to other people. We want so bad for them to be something so that they'll have the destiny that we want them to have and experience the favor we know they could experience if they would just show up and be what they're called to be. But the issue is we were born into the favor that Jesus has. Jesus gives us his relationship with God. And therefore, our life, Christian life, is our inclusion into the very life that Jesus lives. And he lives that life through us. And the favor that he has on him before the Father. And once a Christian begins to understand that and starts taking that out for a spin, trusting in the favor that's already on their life because they're in Christ, and that favor begins to manifest them, it transforms them. That was always God's intention, that the dream would capture us. It would be so captured by the dream that we get to participate in the life that Jesus lives and the favor that he lives under, that we would find ourselves surrendering not to earn something, but to experience more of what's all ours in Christ. The Lord doesn't change us by calling us out. He changes us by calling us forth. And there's a big difference. Yet how many times do we do that to each other in our prayer life for other Christians, like calling them out before the Lord as if the Lord didn't know what was going on? But you know that um, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Now, am I saying that God doesn't show us sin? I'm not saying that at all. Of course he does. Because he's against any kind of thievery. He wants us to experience life and life more abundant. He's going to show us anything so that we have the chance of repenting of that. We have the chance to come and think like he thinks about it and lay it down. Another act of surrender so we can experience more of the all that's ours in Christ. But it says that in John 16 that he convicts the world of sin. Then he goes on and he says he convicts the believer of righteousness. And the way God deals with us isn't by constantly red marking the paper. 
red marking your life. He changes us by when you blow it, reminding you of who you really are in Christ. And the biggest need in the body of Christ is a lack of understanding what their true identity is. Your identity can't be in your assignment. Your identity can't be in your ministry. Your identity is the fact that you've been placed into the very life of Jesus, that Jesus might live his life and his story through your life and your life story. And so God's calling us forth. He convicts us of righteousness. You know what the Lord says about your new nature as a Christian? You know, 2 Peter says that we're partakers of the divine nature. That's pretty amazing. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, what he says, he says, For he, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. What? That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ? That's your new nature. That's part of your new identity. If you're trying to be more righteous, let me just say this to you, it's bigger than you're trying to be. One of the things we've done, and I understand it, is because it's easier to communicate things by principles, but the Christian life is not about living a bunch of principles. It's about a person who lives a principled life who lives in us. And the principled life that Jesus lives through us is much bigger than anything that you and I are going after. Just think about it. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so <clears throat> the Lord's always calling us forth. Instead of calling us out, he convicts us of righteousness. When you and I blow it, he shows us what's going on, but then he's always saying to us, this is not who you are. Let me remind you that I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, and your new nature is the righteousness of God in Christ. Here's the dream that you might experience the life that Jesus lives and walk in the favor that he lives under. That's pretty cool. And so if you think it's the Lord hammering you when you, make it, when you goof it up, that's not how he acts. He, can, he will show you. He will show you things, and it can break your heart. But his purpose is to always call you forth into your true identity. Because you'll begin to believe, behave the way you believe. I'll share this one more thing. This is from Romans chapter 5. Now listen to this scripture. He uses the word justified, but it's the same word for Righteousness. He says, therefore, having been made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus did something on your behalf so that you can now have this relationship with God. What it means is that you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that we get to participate in his relationship with God, which is a world of difference. In Ephesians, 
chapter 2. Now he's talking about Gentiles, and he's talking about Jews and their relationship with God through Christ. And so he speaks to Gentiles, and he says this in verse 11 of Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near through the finished work of Christ. He uses the word blood of Christ. That's referencing the finished work of Christ. For he himself is our peace. What? Jesus didn't just give you peace with God. It says that Jesus is our peace with God. Jesus gives us his relationship with the Father and his anointing with the Holy Spirit. And it's for free. You didn't earn it. You can't work harder for it. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is my peace. So because I'm in him, because of my union with him, I'm in him, he's in me, I get to experience his relationship with the Father. And it's a gift. It's free. I don't have to earn it. I understand the term and I understand what we're saying, that we want to get closer to God. What we're saying is we just want to have a more vivid experience of who he is, a more vivid experience of intimacy. But in a real sense, you can't get closer to God than Jesus is. And Jesus is your peace with God. And because, so I thought about, like, if I had a son and my son was in prison, I wouldn't love him any less. But there's just some favor I could not pour out in his life because of the situation that he's in. And so when we were lost, God didn't hate us. God so loved the world. The cross didn't change Jesus' attitude towards us or God's attitude towards us. It changed our attitude towards God. That's really significant. Because people think that God really hated us because we were sinners, and then Jesus died on the cross, and now he loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so even though God wanted us to experience his favor, his solution for that problem, the separation, we who are far off have been brought near because we're in Christ. So his solution for our, the favor that he wants to pour out on us is he brought us, put us in Christ, and now we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. You can't get closer to God than that. Intimacy isn't trying to strive to perform enough so that God rewards you with a greater experience of his presence. It's just about opening your eyes and seeing where you are. You've been brought near. You have his nearness. And what God wants us to do is just surrender to that and begin to enjoy it. Like I said, begin to take it out for a spin. Anything that you're doing that you think earns you or positions you to experience more 
You have to be really careful because he's already positioned you in Christ to experience everything. So what if you actually could wake up tomorrow believing that Jesus Christ who lives in you and his limitless ability to live his life through you, loving the husband, loving the wife, taking care of the kid, whatever it's going to be, is Jesus big enough for that? And also that you can expect the favor that he lives under. It was for freedom's sake that Christ set us free. And that's living in the reality of freedom. So one of the things that we rediscovered, we've rediscovered every day, is that um, we're in Africa, that it wasn't our piety or our power. It was Jesus. It was the name of Jesus. They would do the things that appeared to be beyond our ability to perform. But everything God ever expects from you, Jesus is prepared to perform through you. Not our performance for him, but his performance through us. Because the scripture says that Jesus, that God reconciled himself to us. That's crazy. If Don and I had a conflict, which would never could happen, but if we had a conflict, and if it was all my fault, and the scripture says I was not only um, a sinner, but I was lost, um, I was ungodly, and I was an enemy. So I had no intention of reconciling. So if somehow Donna could become me and still be her at the same time and reconcile me to her, that's crazy. That's what God did. Because he knew we couldn't fix it. He knew there was nothing we could do to change our situation. And he also knew that if we were going to be a new creation and live the life he created us to live, we couldn't do that part either. That's why he came to live in us. That's why he's not in heaven cheering us on. That's why he's living inside of us doing that part too. He just wants our cooperation, our surrender, and our celebration of this life and life more abundant. Um, when Livia passed away a year and a half ago, what it felt like in my humanity was this is an impossibility to keep moving forward. But what the Lord may reminded me of and it works, it's true in every situation that I was included in the life that Jesus lives and Jesus could do this and the favor that he lives under and that every day I could know God's supernatural favor giving me hinds feet on high places wings like eagles so it wasn't up to me to be able to handle or not handle but it was up to him and that's the Christian life Amen? Well, love you. Thanks for listening to the ramblings of an aging gentleman. It's so good to see all of you again. And let me just shout out this again. I was thinking about this yesterday coming, so I was hoping they'd both be here. I, there's no word, I have no words to express the, the life-changing consequences that I've known as a result of Donna and Shelby. So I just publicly, one again, just thank you. Amen. Love all of you. Okay. God bless. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people, your community, and the world 
through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma or anywhere you're listening from, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluejeanselma.com.